2012, you know, it started with like ankle pain and then I had like Bell's palsy. Only half my face was, uh, was working at one point. And then I started having pain in my feet so I can barely stand like pain in my legs and pain in my back, pain in my wrist, my pain in my throat is like, basically it was pain all over pain in my heart, like having sharp pains in my chest. And the craziest part about all that is everything that I was doing to say, Hey, look at me, I can stay positive. Mm -hmm. Now just got stripped away. And it was like a slow process, but it kept getting stripped away. And then I'm back in isolation. I had moved to Eugene, Oregon, and I just got like out of this relationship that, you know, broke my heart. And I'm here in a place that I never grew up in. I have friends there, but it's, it's not the same. It's kind of like you were talking about some of your friends didn't show up. It's like mm-hmm. people didn't really have a full reason to show up for me because I didn't know them that well. And I'm in my apartment and I'm just crying, man. It's just, it's all the things that I've been working so hard for are no longer available to me, or at least not in the way that I want them to be. Welcome to Dads and Deadlifts podcast with me, your host, Rish. This podcast is to raise awareness around the social stigma of the word man up. Research has shown men are less likely to seek help for trauma, abuse, neglect, addictions, and mental illness because they will be perceived as weak. Research had directly or indirectly linked these problems to the social and cultural perceptions of the word man up. It's time to start a conversation and redefine this word man up. Each week, you will be hearing from men and women all around the world who survived emotional abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, and addictions, and how they came out on the other side with triumph to begin a new chapter. You will also hear from experts and coaches all around the globe on matters like brain health, psychology of men and women, holistic healing, fitness, and last but not least, what it takes to be a man, overcoming the social stigma and expectations and tap into your individual unique authenticity and vulnerability. Thank you for joining me in this mission to serve men around the world and letting them know they are not alone in this. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Dads and Deadlifts, another episode. This is your host, Trish. So today we have a very special guest. I've been following this man for quite some time now over the last few months and I am blown away and I decided to bring him in because he's such an amazing individual. Just following him closely recently, I felt some change and I learned so much. So I definitely wanted to bring him on this podcast and share his knowledge, his expertise to help you guys. He's a change maker. He's a light worker to me, an amazing international speaker and coach. Please welcome Kemi Joseph. Kemi, thank you for being the guest. (laughs) I love that intro. I'm all hyped up. It's been a long day, but I'm like, let's go, man. (laughs) You deserve it. You deserve it, brother. (laughs) I appreciate that. Thank you for the honor. And thank you to all the listeners for giving the opportunity to share and then how do you want to dive in? Because there's so much that we can talk I about. I know, so, I know. Yeah, we just yeah. started, we just started <laughs> offline the other day. We had half an hour and we just yeah. kept going. I mean, so much. Yeah, we had like about. an hour long meeting <laughs> yeah. after all. Yeah. yeah, so I'm excited. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the work that you're doing in the world and the story that you share with me around the transition in your relationship and what that costs for you and, and the saving grace being your son and yes. the ability that you want to be a better man and a stronger man to not only contribute to your family, but also contribute to the world. And yep. I'm just grateful to be a part of that journey. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I think every one of us are doing the same. And and I feel like, you know, we should not waste our pain. So, you know, we should not waste our pain. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, I've been thinking about loss, right? The word L-O-S-S. And every time we feel lost, we can get locked in on our suffering and sadness, or we can leverage our struggles to serve. Wow. I like the second one more, right? <laughs> yes. like we can have the difficulty that we're facing and say, okay, what can I do with this? I mean, you're literally an example of that right now. And you said, mm-hmm. I could have literally gone down the spiral of, of drugs yeah. and alcohol and you tried some of that. And it's just like, mm-hmm. well, that doesn't help. Yeah. And people can go to suicide. I mean, there's been, I've dealt with depression for a lot of my life and that's always an option. That back door is always an option to leave this place, to leave the yeah. struggle there's also like this huge gap where it's like, okay, I can go down two negative paths, but I can also do something incredible with my pain and make sure it doesn't go to waste. So let's start with very simple question before I started. We, got, we, got, we started, we already started deep. Man. I know, People I know. Like, Whoa, what is happening right now? Hey, welcome to the show. There you go. That's Kemi, guys. That's Kemi. <laughs> so tell my listeners who Kemi is. Man, this, that's a big question. I think especially speaking of in this context to dads and deadlifts, I would say I'm a son, I'm an uncle, I'm not a father, right? So I want, I want to be letting folks know too, right? I've had the opportunity to be a middle child. I have nine siblings. So I'm like right there where, and I lost my dad when I was 13 years old. So stepping up as a father figure has been a very interesting experience. And that's part of the reason I don't have kids. I just feel like I am serving in a different capacity, specifically in my life right now, where I've had a chance. I have three younger siblings and it's been the big brother vibe and the father type Uh, vibe. And in some ways getting a chance to be a big brother, father type vibe to the, my older siblings as well. And just really working to keep our family connected. And, you know, I've been the one doing the zoom calls and trying to get everybody together and, it's been such a, a powerful experience and now having, I think it's like 15 nieces and nephews right now. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of the family we've expanded, but this idea of being the uncle, the brother, the father type figure that I wish I had more of mm-hmm. growing up, like this balance of joy and silliness, but also firm and the kind of guy who will show up and be there with you in your time of difficulty, the kind of guy who yeah. may lend you some money. This, this is only speaking of family, right? Don't right, right. That's, that's not my <laughs> Hold offer. on, Kevin. Oh, I'm going to have The point being that I just love that, just being there for people. And I think that's who I am. That's how people would talk about me. And, and sometimes people tell me stories of things that I've done. I'm like, oh, great. I, I'm, as long as you think I did it and it was positive, I'll, yeah, sure, why not? Right. You know? But uh, I think that's probably the essence of, of who I am. And I've accomplish some things, but that's more of the essence of who I am for sure. No, I agree. And I think like a lot of people and I will release the episode and everyone will listen the first episode where I basically, where the naming convention comes from, you don't have to be a dad to leave a legacy. And I think that's basically my definition of dad, mm-hmm. leave a legacy, because that's what my dad did for me. And I lost I my dad that. at 23. So, yeah. and you are definitely leaving a legacy, brother. I can tell you that <laughs> right now, everyone we're listening I mean, to you. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, so many people, you know, tell me, Kimmy, you'd be a great dad. I think that's an honor. What they're saying is like, they feel my heart and they know that I care. And you yeah. know, I think when I, when it's time to have a family, I will certainly adopt. I mean, I think of just the, again, kids like me, like I lost my dad out of an accident, like a, of a drunk driver, and then a, a situation of complication in the hospital. And so, you know, to lose your dad suddenly makes a huge difference on someone's psyche. But I think about mm-hmm. kids whose dads have left. Uh, like I have one of my brothers is a single father. My younger brother is a single father. He has two kids. And, you know, he was just talking about making sure that the kids get a chance to connect with their mom. But, you know, you don't really hear about those many stories of the guys who take on the kids and say, right. I'm going to be there. And that's out of a response of us losing our dad when we were young. 
Mm -hmm. saying we are definitely wanting to be father figures and he's actually a father but being this figure saying i want to be there for the younger generation i want to be there for those who need me and so when you talk about that legacy i would say that that's what dads that's the kind of most iconic version of a dad yeah the kind of the person who may not necessarily be a superhero but is going to show up to save the day as best we can or to just be there and to to be a rock Right. No, I agree. And I think like that's where all of this started for me. You know, I, I'm a dad. I'm a single dad now. And one time, you know, like and I looked up to my father and then I came to US and I got into this whole corporate life, you know, engineering and all that. And it's, it became a project, you know, and it's like money, money, money oh, until yeah. this happened. And then my son was born. He's two and a half now. And uh, I was going through a lot of emotional relationship, abusive, and a lot of problems with that. And eventually, of course, we parted ways. We are still good co-parent. And I was going under the addiction, basically, right? Like, you know, I was heavily dependent on alcohol. And until one day I realized, like, yeah, something's going to change. Something's going to change because I cannot, I need to show up. So on that topic, that's exactly what it is that when I started finding my authentic version, because I lost myself, because I know who I am to the core. I don't believe in the fact finding yourself. We are all born that way. I'm a hard guy. It's like uncovering ourselves, right? Right. All these things like piled on us. And you were talking about masculinity and the amount of mixed messages we receive as men we're supposed to. Yeah. So I think it's like uncovering ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah, I think like that's where I think people are, men are showing up as like, oh, we are the matcher. But then I think the ultimate strength is have control on your emotions, which I lost it myself. <laughs> yeah, same thing. Sure we, right. we can talk about my journey for sure. And that's exactly where I'm going to. So tell yeah. me about your journey on this and you showing up like this, like you're a light worker. I keep yeah. telling people. That's the only thing I could think of when I see you and speak. It's wild that you say that because somebody else just reached out to me and essentially said the same thing. They're like, Kimmy, you're a light worker and I want to help you protect your heart and make sure that you can you know, navigate all these difficulties. So I'm just, it's just been interesting that you're the second person in this week. Like this person literally reached out to me after on Monday. It's like, all yeah. right, well, when people say things enough times, I'll listen. And yeah. so I just want to, I want to share this quote. I'm trying to find that I think is so powerful based on what you're saying. And I might have to paraphrase it because I can't find the exact thing, but it says, it is far easier to help guide and teach a boy than to try to change a man. On the other hand, it's been my observation that the love of a child can easily change a man. It's a powerful quote. I want to leave it at that for now, but I just think about what I described with my brother and the the man I've seen him become since having his son and having his sons. And it sounds like you in the same way that the love of a child, the, the kind of commitment to a child that says, I have to think beyond me. I have to think about how I'm raising mm-hmm. my family, how I'm supporting them. Like that blows my mind. And just the innocence of kids before yeah. we start to pile all of these definitions and tell them who they're supposed to be and not to cry and all this stuff. It's, you know, I think about being a light worker, it's like uncovering the things that have been blocking my light. And I see younger males, especially in this context, but you know, all kids and saying, how do we make sure they don't have to hide that light and then mm-hmm. have to uncover themselves later on? It's like, how do we protect that innocence and allow them to truly grow as the capable and strong human beings they are? So tell me about your journey. I know you, you said you lost your father at 13. Yeah. So and how that journey had been, where you at one point kind of got into this whole thing, man up, this shallowness. Man. Were you able to shield yourself? Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting as I as preparing for this podcast, I've been thinking about what is what is my journey specifically as a young man, and uh, it's a wild one. And so, so my parents are also a divorce. So my parents are Haitian immigrants, so there's a when you talk about man up, there's a whole another like series of, of yeah 
cultural and like, for example, you know, even having to relearn later as an adult, some of the basic like house cleaning and, and uh, cooking and things that cause that wasn't part of the women did that. Like we didn't do that. And, mm-hmm. and now it's funny. I went to my brother's house recently, like this past weekend and uh, my sister-in-law's cooking and she made amazing food. I was like, this is cooking. What am I doing then? Like, what am I, like, what am I up to? Because this, uh, my stuff does never taste like my mom or my sister's food. And I just think it's like these small things that I'm realizing, okay, even from an early age, we were, we were kind of told our roles. And I was a, a very emotional kid. It's, uh, I think today when people call me a light worker or an empath, I'm like, man, that sounds mm-hmm. awesome. Because yeah. when I was a kid, I was called a sissy or I was called, uh, eventually I'd be called emotionally handy. Emotional fool, emotional fool. Emotion. Yeah, yeah, I heard like, that. I, like, I heard that all my life, all my life. Like, what the heck? What kind of label is that? It's just basically saying you have to start to deny your emotions. And we see the problems that happen when we start to deny our emotions. So I was the kind of kid who went from either, you know, trying to express this in tears or express this in violence. And the mm. crazy part is for young men, violence is more acceptable than tears. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's the part that blows my mind in this current culture. Violence is more acceptable than tears. We can prepare our young men for, for sports and for, for battle more than we prepare them to deal with their emotions. And so that back then I was not prepared to deal with my emotions and I was constantly getting in trouble because of that acting out. Anytime I felt embarrassed or shamed or, you know, I, I, I ran away a lot, right? Saying quotes because I didn't go too far. Like I still <laughs> wanted to be a part of the thing, but I'm out of here. I'm running away. Screw you all. You know, it's this idea of a feeling not valued, not feeling valued and, and then wanting to have people come and seek to find me because of that. And, you know, all those hardships, all those hard emotions and then not really having a place to process it. Like I look up to my dad still, but I don't, I doubt back then, you know, we would have ever had those kind of conversations. Like I don't really think that was part of his perspective. Mm-hmm. And so then going to school and not really even knowing how to talk about these things or who to talk to about these things, I would just act out to the point where I get expelled in fourth grade, right? So let's, we're setting the bar pretty low saying that in fourth grade, yeah. this kid's already getting, I mean, <laughs> suspended several times by that point, you know, stole from people. Like I, I was on a very difficult trajectory and it kept on going like that because it was this idea that I had to just kind of resort to violence. Instead of looking like a punk, I had to like toughen up. You went to the extreme to, side, like, look, I, I mean, that's the only, only shield I got right now. Yeah, I had to deny my emotions unless I was around girls, especially around like eighth grade when I started being, oh, okay, so girls like emotion. All right, so I'm, yeah, like, I'm, yeah. I'm, gonna be, I'm learning all the dances. I'm trying right, to do right. street stuff, you know, just like doing whatever <laughs> I had to do. So it was, it was interesting. It was like, okay, when I'm with my guys, friends, I got to be like this. When I'm with my girlfriends, I got to be like this, especially yeah. for girls that I like and I want them to be my girlfriend. I got to be like it. And it was very segmented. Mm-hmm. It's a very segmented reality where it's uh, there's this documentary called The Mask We, oh, the mask yeah. we Live In. Powerful. Mm-hmm. Powerful. About the, like switching the mask, you know, like, okay, here's what I'm wearing here. Here's what I'm wearing here. And then, you know, we can add the layer of being a minority on top of that, right? It's just like, mm-hmm. all right, so now I'm wearing another mask because now I'm, I'm trying to play on my strengths in order to attract different groups and be cool and, and do this. So it was, I would say a fragmented reality is probably the easiest way to describe my upbringing in that way. And started to realign as I, I would say as I transitioned from, it, it probably was more so closer to college, like just like the last like senior year. So by that point, that, that's several years of school at that point, right? That's mm-hmm. several years of life at that point. I'm about 17, 18 years old. And I'm in this place where I'm just now starting 
to think about what it means for me to be a man, what it means for me to challenge like uh, gender roles and what it means to expand beyond what I was taught to figure out what I want to learn and who I want to be. And that blows my mind. And that's for me, I was 18. I do trainings now, like where we do strength-based men's groups and we're working with adults who are then going to run groups with youth. And I'm still talking to adults who are two, three times my age and are just having this conversation in their mind about Mm -hmm. uh, relearning how to be a man. That blows my mind, man. Yeah, that's, I had seen it. I had seen it day in and day out and I'm 39. Although I knew it deep down and I started working after my first divorce. I was like, okay, yep, I'm emotional. That's going to be me. So what I finally found my emotional self, but then what happened on my second marriage or second relationship, I didn't know how to control it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like in a completely different path, like this is me, accept it or leave it basically. (laughs) And so, you know, like then there's another, another layer to it. Now over the last eight, nine months, I'm learning and it's still a journey. It's still a journey. And and this is, and, and, you know, even before I continue any further, just like, when I was going through all that and, you know, I was taught about anger management, mm-hmm. right? And maybe you went through the same book, some kind of thing. Yeah. I've been talking about, people have taught me about emotional management. People have taught me about like keeping it to myself. So I went from like being super emotional to then learning how to manage my emotions, which essentially, I mean, I don't really think we manage things. We don't like manage emotions. What that really means is like, what I took it as is suppress your emotions, right? Mm. Keep your emotions to yourself. Like, do that over there. Don't do that in here, which is kind of like yeah. more so managing my response to the emotion. Like, but I never, I didn't know that as a teenager. It was like, oh, just basically stay out of trouble by trying not to show emotion at all, which then ate me up inside. So that fragmented life was like, oh, I don't, I can't hit things anymore. I'm not supposed to cry. So what the heck am I supposed to do? Yeah. And I don't really, I still don't really have people to talk to. I could talk about like situations, but I never really, I don't, besides talking to a counselor, which was already like, it kind of, then it made like, emotions had to be in this context. Like it had to be talking to a counselor or a therapist or something. It's not that something that we can just talk about right. as friends, right? That's so right. It was, yep. it's, even though this wasn't explicitly told to me, as I think through it, those are the compartments that I started to put myself in or put my emotions in. So when I hear manage my emotions, it just snaps me back to those yeah. anger management class. It kind of makes right. me angry, actually. Yeah. It kind of just like, it's yeah, a no, I agree. system yeah, of, it is. of what we're doing. And then, so as a, uh, and I also got reinforced that the better my behavior became, the more access opportunities, you know, the cooler people saw me, right? So it was also this thing where I was being rewarded for whatever I was doing, however I showed up to the room, whatever it took for me to do that without was hiding my emotions, like, you know, kind of toxicity within my body, whatever, as long as I could show up and perform and, and mm-hmm. like get the grades, like people didn't really ask what's going like, how are you really feeling, Kimmy? And, and mm-hmm. it, so it be, it created this kind of twisted version in my mind that was like, as long as I can look positive mm-hmm. and people will see me positive, I'm doing positive things. Like again, to go from a kid who right. was throwing chairs and <laughs> right. breaking stuff and fighting to, to go from that to like, Hey, people actually love me because I'm positive. That was like, awesome. Yeah, that was phenomenal to be able to experience that. But I wasn't really taking care of my emotional self. Mm-hmm. And it was in the background. I would still get agitated, but I just wouldn't show anybody. And that all magnified when 
I really, if anything, if I look at stepping into my light worker, like power that became when I went to college and I went to college on a full ride scholarship, two full ride scholarships. So I was, I was like, not only received more money and investment in me than I ever had even thought was possible. Mm. I was going to an incredible private school that was, I mean, literally like 30 minutes from where I grew up, but it was a completely different world in my mind. And then I was being exposed to new ideas and to like, one of the, the ideas that blew my mind was uh, random acts of kindness. Like I was used to doing, you know, things for people to get something like that. It doesn't seem like a random yeah, act yeah, of kindness. Yeah, like yeah. It's a trade, right? Realistically, yeah. it's like- yeah, I, I give you some- I, Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that, that made sense, especially in the family of nine siblings, you know, like resources are low. It's like, you know, I'm doing you a favor. Make mm-hmm. sure you, you know, make sure you keep me in mind next time. Right? <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, um, it's this idea that, so I found out about random acts of kindness and this is right after the free hugs movement that was actually started by a young man. I don't know his name, but out there holding a free hug sign mm-hmm. and then, you know, seeing how long it took for people to give hugs and then like how it built from that. And that video went viral. Mm-hmm. So I'm in this random acts of kindness club, like totally like fish out of water. Like what's happening here. Right. <laughs> and it was interesting that that combination of doing things like giving people free hugs and what it took for me to overcome the fear of doing that, the rejection of doing that as a male. Cause at the time, there was a lot of women in the group and they were receiving way more hugs than me. And I was like, I had to, uh-huh. deal, with a, I had to deal with a lot. And, you know, the president of the club was telling me to get creative. And eventually I started to think about how can I offer free hugs, but high fives and fist bumps. I'm like, all right, guys, we'll take a fist bump like that. That can work, right? So I, I started to think, how do I deliver what I want to share to a, a multitude of people? Mm. And and literally the the next year after I started figuring this out, the thing that I think changed a lot for me was having a conversation about the hero's journey. So I was taking a theater course. I went to school for film and theater, right? So okay. I, I, there's so many pieces of the story, I can okay. be sharing, but I'm just trying to get people on point what we were talking about. And we were doing a theater, uh, a class on the hero's journey, like still one of my favorite classes. And I don't remember all the details of the class, but I remember the, the teacher asking a question to the effect of how can we be heroes in our own lives? And it's funny, I talked to that teacher. I don't think he remembers even asking that. Maybe I just made up the question, but that's the question that I took away was how can I be a hero in my own life? And that kicks back to what we were just talking about with the dads and leaving a legacy, mm-hmm. right? So I had a lot of ideas, but one of the first ones I had was wearing a sign on my chest, like to take all the free hugs, take all that kindness and say, how can I live a message? Like literally like live a message, put it on my chest and live a message. So the first sign became, you are awesome. So letter U, letter R, the word awesome. I was like, that's what I would love a message to share with people. And it, it evolved to things like love who you are, spreading love brings peace. Uh, you got this. I just love, you know, like kind of like silly ones, you know, be unique. I ended up doing this for about five years, man. Like every single day, we're on a different sign. Just from a question that maybe no one asked me, right? How can right. I be a hero in my own life? And so for anyone listening, even before I go forward, I would, I would directly ask this question, right? How can you be a hero in your own life? Right. Whether you're a dad or not, how do you mm-hmm. serve and support other people in their growth? And as I tell this story, I think about the trap that that actually created for me because it magnified everything else that I just shared where I didn't have my emotions kind of dialed in, but now I was getting even more attention, mm-hmm. 
more praise, more like more celebration based on showing up as a positive guy because this became a movement on campus that then grew into a nonprofit. And it was just so powerful for me to really be challenging myself to live what I've been asking myself to live. But because I was trying to live a hero, I then end up creating, technically it was a hero called Mr. You Are Awesome. Like there's okay. a documentary about me and all that. Like literally I created- Oh, wow, I didn't know. Okay. Yeah, I created this like this image of who I thought I was supposed to be. So when we talk about the context of being a hero, I'm trying to separate it, right? To make sure mm-hmm. we allow ourselves to be human because I didn't. I didn't. It was like, oh, I want to be a hero. And I just took it to the nth degree. And it wasn't until I was touring the country on a scooter, like a moped, right? Like, nye, nye, nye. <laughs> it was like okay. 10 months on a moped. And it wasn't until then that I was all by myself. I was meeting people along the way and it was so powerful to connect with folks. But I spent hours by myself, hours in my head, hours. That's when some of these things that are truly bubbling up when I finally had essentially enough quiet because I couldn't be on the phone. Like there, mm-hmm. I didn't have enough battery just to kind of like listen to things all the way. This is before podcasts were like so huge where you had an infinite amount of content. So I am just in here with me and these emotions I've been trying to manage. And they're like, hey, <laughs> you haven't been managing us. You've been keeping us locked away. Mm-hmm. And they just started coming out. And it was just like this wave of isolation and depression and, and sadness. So there was many days where I just kind of wish I could drive off, just like drive off into the sunset and never come back. And I could technically run away from the tour. I could run away from Mr. You're Awesome. I could run away from all the things that I committed to, but I can't run away from my emotions. I've tried. Sounds like you tried. I related to it so much because initially I was more of a... Uh, okay, hey, I have this problem. I was trying to reach out to people, right? And then, of course, they were like, okay, let's go grab a beer. And some days I'll get angry, and then some days I'll give in, like, let's go grab a beer, vent, 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 come back, same thing over and over again. One day I really realized, and I really got angry because, you know, a couple of friends didn't show up, and then I literally was just by myself. And that's when I realized that isolation is so powerful transformation. Like, you need to spend What we, what we do time. in the isolation, what we actually, what we do in the isolation, right? Because I, I was on the verge of self-destruction yeah. in that isolation, right? And I yeah. think it's, uh, so isolation is so powerful. And, and I think with the reason, you know, I tie this to this idea of being a hero, because sometimes it also means you might be standing alone in your friend group and saying, hey, let's talk about our emotions, right? So that, mm-hmm. that could breed a sense of isolation. The only reason we succumb to things like man up is because we're like, okay, if I man up, they're going to accept me and I can go to the trips. We can go to the bar. We can hang out. It's like, it's such a, it's like a twisted kind of version of seeing mm-hmm. that. So, you know, that isolation, instead of, it became a thing where I try to run away from the emotions. And I, and I, I still did on the tour. And again, I said, I was on a tour for 10 months. I ended up doing like 22,000 miles. It was an insane, like the craziest thing of my life, you know, Hawaii and like in Alaska. And it's like super crazy tour. At one point, this two scooter got stolen. I'll come back and I'll tell you about these different stories. Of wow. Happening. Eventually I crashed. I went from Key West all the way to uh, San Francisco, like no issues. And then I crashed. And that crash ended up creating a series of health issues that ended up that by the time I got to at the end of 2012, you know, it started with like ankle pain and then I had like Bell's palsy. Only half my face was uh was working at one point. And then I started having pain in my feet so I can barely stand, like pain in my legs and pain in my back, pain in my wrists, my pain in my throat. It's like basically it was pain all over, pain in my heart, like having sharp pains in my chest. And the craziest part about all that is everything that I was doing to say, hey, look at me, I can stay positive. Mm-hmm. Now it just got stripped away. 
And it was like a slow process, but it kept getting stripped away. And then I'm back in isolation. I had moved to Eugene, Oregon, and I just got like out of this relationship that, you know, broke my heart. And I'm here in a place that I never grew up in. I have friends there, but it's, it's not the same. It's kind of like you were talking about some of your friends didn't show up. It's like mm-hmm. people didn't really have a full reason to show up for me because I didn't know them that well. And I'm in my apartment and I'm just crying, man. It's just, it's all the things that I've been working so hard for are no longer available to me, or at least not in the way that I want them to be. Mm-hmm. And it was like, at that point, there was literally no escape, no escape from my emotion. I mean, there was like balling, right? There's like no escape from, there's no way I could have escaped in the way that I used to. And and that was the biggest turning point for me in terms of my emotional relationship with myself. Like this idea of becoming my own best friend, like this idea of becoming my own dad, if we're, if we're going to mm-hmm. push that metaphor, like my own hero, like actually showing up for me, like showing up for my emotions. Mm-hmm. Like I would show up for my kids, like showing up for yeah. my emotions and treating them as children, helping to raise them so that they're coming along with me. I mean, John Gordon talks about how there's, whenever there's a lack in communication or a gap in communication, negativity will fill the space. Right. And so wow. I think people yeah. are trying to deny their emotions. They're in this place where here I am, here are my emotions. I'm just telling my emotions they don't matter. I'm starting, all I'm getting is negative feedback loops in my head because I'm having this fight. But it's like, I would never tell a kid that they don't matter. Right. And so if I look at my emotions as a young child, I'm like, oh, let's let's bring you close. Let's make sure you're taken care of. And it was a long journey, right? I'm still now on the path of recovery five years later in regards to like even being able to stand and do this podcast right here. I still feel pain in my ankle, but it's much better than it was five years ago. And the part that's become way more strengthened is my emotional compass, as well as my emotional care mm-hmm. and this ability to not only be vulnerable, which is what we, we started talking about, but also being able to celebrate with my emotions, man. Like yeah. people have been asking me, Kimmy, you're going nuts right now. <laughs> you yeah. know, we see you on what you're on one thing and you're crying because of, you know, like seeing how police are treating black lives. And another thing you're like celebrating. And I keep seeing you pop up on screen. How are you taking care of yourself, man? It's like, there's a lot that I do to take care of myself. And it starts with being good with me. Mm-hmm. Right? It starts with being where I can still, if I'm starting to get agitated, I realize, oh, that's me. I haven't been taking care of myself. Right. Right. If, if I'm starting to be sad before I used to try to hide it. I remember telling people for years, the last time I cried was when my dad died. Wow. I, that, I said that for years. I, I said the same years. thing. Yeah, and I, like, wow. And it's just like, oh, wow. That almost became like a badge somehow. Like, oh, mm-hmm. no, I'm tough. Like, I only cry when there's a big death or a loss. I'm like, damn, that's actually really sad to think. You know, it took me years mm-hmm. to get to a point where I can actually release my emotions without it having to be an intense sadness. Right. It's like, whew, talk about an emotional blockade. Talk about a box that, we're, that I'm living in. Talk about trying to man up and, yeah. and don't really have the foundation to stand on to actually be the man that I'm trying to be, right? So that was the breaking point of almost losing everything in a way. I never imagined a health situation would put me in isolation. And here we are in COVID-19, right? right? (laughs) Here we are in COVID-19 where I've been in way more isolation than I've been in previous years of my life, but I'm doing insanely better than I was before. Like it's, I feel like I'm actually at that best friend level where I can hang out with myself. Right. Good. Like, like, wait, what a concept, man. I just, I went through a divorce recently too, man. And it's, uh, and I will say to people who are like, oh, the divorce rates are higher, but relationships are still more terrible. Like some relationships are terrible. I'd rather have a successful divorce worse than a yeah. terrible and unsuccessful relationship like those absolutely you know it's like it's assuming that people are having great relationships that's why and i'd rather be 
you know, now I'm feeling finally good in my life to be single and to mm-hmm. uh, really attract a powerful woman and a woman who we connect more and have this, a similar vision that mm-hmm. makes that's worth waiting for. But again, it requires the emotional strength to not be just chasing sexual fulfillment over mm-hmm. like true love and care. And so it's back to this conversation around isolation. It's saying that I know I've come a long way because I can handle this situation much better right. than I would have, you know, even a decade ago. No, it's, it's wow. I mean, I didn't know some of these stories. It's, it's kind of like crazy. Like, know, it's like, it's the same a... similar thing. And I, I tell people the other day, I was telling someone on a, on a podcast episode that, you know, I kind of learned to, cause I got kind of like, he started asking me questions. I'm like, hold on, are you asking me questions now? <laughs> but uh, the reason once you have to realize that you will be in pain, if you keep blaming the outside world, other persons, families, friends, and you never, it's a cycle yeah. situation. It's just a cycle until you start working on yourself and going inner self even if you have the three percent fault still that three percent is still killing you so and once i found that i found the peace that i need now i'm human too we all are human there are still times i'm like ah but now as you said it's easier to work and like okay i know exactly what to do i have the tools i have the tools but i also have the the permission right i think that Mm -hmm. We're talking about oh, wow. Yeah. That's a nice right? way to put it. Yeah. And to say, one, I have the permission to take care of myself. I have the permission to cry. I have the permission to be strong. I have the permission to show up powerfully. I have the permission to be a hero. Like when we start talking about vulnerability, some guys are like, oh no, they just want me to cry. It's like, no, no. the crazy <laughs> no. part too is some people don't feel like they gave themselves permission to truly like laugh. Right. Yeah. I've worked with guys, we're laughing, we're having a good time. And then someone pulled out a camera and they post up. I'm like, yo, what happened to the smiles? They're like, <laughs> <laughs> like now, nah, man, if someone catch me smiling, they're going to think I'm a punk. I was like, whoa, I guess I must be a punk, bro, because <laughs> I want to have a good time. So it's like full spectrum. Are we giving ourselves permission to be a full human, not just a man, not just like block over here and say this is what it's supposed to be? Are we giving ourselves permission? And the world is giving men more permission, man. Think right. about the Avengers real quick. Like just to, mm-hmm. like, and talking about heroes, right? I want to keep in that philosophy. If anybody watched the Avengers, I mean, I think we can do spoilers here, right? If you, if you did not watch, sure. I mean, we saw- <laughs> Guys, don't watch. leave me bad, bad reviews because of the spoilers, okay? <laughs> all right, all right, just in case that you didn't watch it, you know, we see in the last Avengers, I don't know all the titles they're calling these things, but we see in the very last one or the 2019 version, depending what year you're listening to, what else they're doing, right? They dealt with a tragedy. They dealt with a huge tragedy. I won't spoil it for you. Go back and watch it. <laughs> that was a huge tragedy. And we actually got to see the characters take it in different paths, especially the male characters, right? So for example, Thor, right? Who's known as like the god with the bod, right? Yeah. Freaking hat. And, and we see him go out of shape. We see him deal with it in the way you're describing where he's drinking and he's just kind mm-hmm. of, he's having a frumpy version of it. He's having a version where he lost himself and it literally take him a whole movie to kind of refine himself, to uncover himself again. Do you know, like 10 years ago, we would never see that kind of image. No. It's just like, okay, I got to go get revenge. I mean, it's pretty much what all the other male movies have been. It's like, yeah. I've been hurt. I got to get revenge. I, someone took my wife. I got to get revenge. Someone hurt my family. Revenge. It's like, yeah. you know, we barely see them actually process emotions and figure out how to to get peace with or without revenge. And that's the part that blows my mind. The permission is there now. And just like the invitation to be a hero is here right now, it's just people have to step up. Not man up, you gotta step up to truly be who you wanna be. 
I think that's basically exactly the issue right now, right? You have the tools, you have the permission, you have everything right now that it's out there. Worlds have changed. We are not back in our 50s and 60s where man means like a Marlboro man, right? Like literally. Because the other day I wrote a post like, imagine Marlboro man walking into a therapist's office. It's not going to jive with his image. That's why somehow this whole world was created. But coming back to the topic is same thing. And we will talk about that, of course, current situation that's going on. Same thing that we're seeing there. You have to acknowledge knowledge the problem and their world is listening and then really have to put in the work really have to understand it's okay it's okay to reach out it's okay to cry it's okay to show up and be vulnerable right that's what strength is like that i think that it's it's like we almost see like asking for help as a sign of weakness i think les brown says you ask for help to stay strong yeah it's that we're, we're relational human beings. And, and onto the note that you were saying here, it, there actually are studies that show this direct correlation between violence in a society and definitions of masculinity. Yep. Right. So in yes. places where men cannot express their emotions in a positive way, again, that we accept it more that they hurt versus mm-hmm. help or cry. The way you show you're a man is you fight, you got to be strong. When that is more prominent, well, you can't even say I was wrong. Like, hey, I was wrong. I said the wrong thing. I did the wrong. When we can't say those things or we don't feel like we can or it's not acceptable in our community, those levels of violence are much higher because instead of saying, hey, I'm sorry, I apologize for that thing mm-hmm. or I'm feeling scared, I have to then double down on what I'm dealing with, you know, maybe knock you down a peg in order to make sure that I stay and I I would keep my status. And I mean, there's studies that's showing all this, right? And we're seeing result of what's happening right now in this world as we see, you know, white and black men killing each other. There is so much pain and trauma being expressed and it's being expressed through violent actions. And And I can relate to that. I know we'll talk some more about that in the next Mm -hmm. episode, but I can relate to that sense of having trauma, not having the words to speak it, not having this this safe space, not having, not even knowing I had the permission, honestly, to be like, oh, I can talk to somebody about how I'm feeling versus being, you know, being getting told that I'm a a sissy or I don't know Mm -hmm. if you ever had this as your parents (laughs) say something like, I'll give you a reason to cry. And I was like, oh, I really got a reason to cry, man. Trust me. I was, I was, I was raised in an Indian household. Trust me. (laughs) It's like, it's not even a bad thing against parents. That's how they grew up, right? It's just yeah. like this kind of cycle of punishment continued on. And so we're like, all right, I don't want to get hit anymore. I'm going to make sure that I man up or that I like I suck it up. And then again, like I said, for me particularly, I started being rewarded for just being so positive. So I was like, oh, okay, I have to shut myself down and then, you know, put so much out there in the world. And that's how I'm going to get the love I'm looking for. And I think if we bring it down to that core, that is a human need for us to feel included, feel like we belong and that we are we are loved for being ourselves. And so the macho man, please no, you can still be the macho man, right? Right. And it's, it's, it's also saying part of being macho is this sense of being vulnerable, the sense of being caring, the sense of showing up and being more than just a macho man. So you can be that and more. Like That's what's exciting to me that there's actually more possible when we allow ourselves to feel more and show up more. And I think also doing that, you will attract the right kind of partners too. What I learned too myself, because no matter what happened between my partner and before, but I felt I did that to me. I was not me. I wasn't authentic myself. Now I have hundred percent sure more work, more work, more work on me. 
I know for a fact the right partner, I will attract that partner because she will see me. Yeah, because you show yourself. I mean, it's hard to be seen if you're not showing yourself. Exactly. <laughs> that yeah. literally is it. I mean, if you're not in the places that you want to be and I, I get to do this work here online, but when I'm out in the world, you know, you'll catch me running around in nature. You'll have you'll see me hanging out with my nieces and nephews. Like I'll be doing the things that I love to do. And then I'm running into women who are in that same realm because I'm doing what I wanted to do. They're doing what they want to do. We get a chance to connect. And I think as you're talking about, we get a chance to attract not only the women yeah. who are going to support us and like if that's if the romantic relationships, right? So see, I'm right. still like reprogramming. That like, All sorts of relationships. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So for me, particularly, you know, I'm attracting a woman. Um, but, you know, we understand that regardless of whoever you're attracting, right, that the more you show up, especially, by the way, if you're not attracting a woman, like if you're hiding yeah. that, and you're kind of trying to do everything else because you are stuck in that box, how are you going to find the love that you want if yeah. you're not willing to show up as the love that you want? I think that's just, uh, I just, we can talk about this for days. I know. <laughs> that gets me so excited. And I, like I said, I literally got off of a training today on, on strength-based men group and it's called One Circle Foundation. It's just amazing. And I, I encourage folks to look that up and just been a trainer for them for many years. And it was just interesting. We did our first online training today. We, it's, everything's been offline for about 20 years. Yeah. So it's like everybody's rushing online and the group we've been meeting three days in a row. It was interesting to see the joy and the and the tears and the celebration we had at the end. Mm-hmm. So this is like two or three hours ago. And it's like, man, I just so grateful for both the men and women who show up to learn how to help and support other development of the young men in their lives. And, right. and just so I'm just want to echo that back to you of thank you for the ways you are supporting the development of males in this world and how that then impacts the development of, of females yeah. and those who do not subscribe to the binary that we're all yeah. being benefited by this work right here. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. No, I mean, that's, that's, that this is, I told you this had become my mission now. Uh, this will be, and uh, I'm not going to stop. Then one last thing, I do have a question also to kind of cool. get your perspective for the listeners and what would you tell them? A lot of the times I hear just when, after I started this work and all that, like, Rich, you have to have a safe space for men to speak, and which I completely agree. Uh, there's that still, it will take years. It's a long journey. It's an uphill battle. With your work, how are you seeing it and what kind of feedback are you getting from men and women? There's a reason that I've been sharing stories and and laughter and humor in addition to talking about the hard things. Like Mm -hmm. you working specifically with men, right? There's, it can't just be a conversation, right? We just had a conversation here. So whenever we're doing the work, you know, we're having them do hands-on things, right? We like the men, we like to like their hands-on. So if, for example, if you're ever going to run a men's group, be thinking about how do we have conversations, but how do we have projects? How do we have competition? How do we have things that mm-hmm. allow us to fully express that part too? And then also lean into the difficult conversations, lean into the healing that is required for us to truly show yeah. up. But you got to have both, right? We were just talking right now. I was trying yeah. to bring some energy for those who are listening. I'm like, yeah, I get hyped up too. Yeah, Steve, we need all of that in order to right. truly make sure that folks, or especially men, that men can stay engaged. Right. That men can feel like they have the same space, but they also have the space to just to like be, you know, to be, be the yeah. roughness, to like to express. Again, the point of it is as you're creating these spaces, how do you express the full man? That would be the, the question I put back to you. Anyone who's listening, anyone who's thinking, how do we give people a chance to express the full version of themselves to truly experience what that's like? Yeah. I think it's I think it's experience. When I started to experience the difference, mm-hmm. I was like, oh. I want more of that. I can. We can tell men all this stuff. We can tell them all the time. But when we give them a chance to experience it, they're like, oh, 
this is what it means to be vulnerable in a safe way. This is what it means to be strong and courageous in a supportive way. This is what it means to really de-escalate and to mm-hmm. move away from violence in a way that still allows me to, to maintain respect. Like some people haven't had those experiences. When you talk about those safe spaces, I would love to see more opportunities where both men and young men yeah. get a chance to experience that. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kemi. I know you have back-to-back meetings probably scheduled, but guys, we'll definitely bring Kemi back. And there's something going on uh, this Friday. You guys will see that on my social media. They'll be live and we will talk about current events that's going on right now with Kemi. Uh, So Kemi, I know you have a workshop coming up. Tell us about a little bit. Yeah, it's very interesting too, because of, you know, we were just talking about this One Circle Foundation. Honestly, I just want to plug them based on the conversation that we were having. That's not Mm -hmm. what I intended to do, but it's like, I just believe in the work. It's a, a nonprofit that, so you can look at uh, One Circle Foundation, just re-encouraging folks, especially when you just ask that question of creating safe spaces, like mm-hmm. literally providing people with toolkits and resources for that. So I think okay. as we were, as we were having that conversation, I just wanted like to really give them that shout out. And the reason that we started connecting is the work on what I've been doing with my company called Fears Advantage. And it comes out of all the same conversation where I used to deny my emotions. I try to overcome my emotions and realizing you don't overcome emotions. Mm. They're inside of you. You actually have to use your emotions to fuel extraordinary actions, relationships, and systems in both your life and your business. So the word fears is that acronym, fuel extraordinary actions, relationships, and systems. So mm. that, that gets me so fired up every time I say it because I've, the journey that I've taken with my own emotions so what we're doing specifically right now is we, we're helping social entrepreneurs, purpose-driven entrepreneurs use their fears, use these negative emotions we're, we are experiencing to transcend prejudice. That's the name of the workshop, Transcend Prejudice. Okay. And we understand that we all have privilege. We all have difficulties in our lives. We all have permission as well to turn things around. This workshop is about giving people permission to heal, giving permission to honor what's going on in their lives and giving them permission to actually transform that so they can be of service. And this is the first one of many. So if anybody who wants to join along the way, as you get so excited when you hear my voice and you hear this podcast, you can find us at serve.fears with an S, fearsadvantage.com, serve.fearsadvantage.com. And this call right here has been a powerful thing because it's been a reflection of all these years of my life that- You know, I don't normally just talk about my journey as a man. That's not really what I'm doing, you know, for an hour. And it is just a reflection of we get a chance to do something extraordinary right now in the wake of, of racial mm-hmm. inequity and in light of the difficulties and darkness we see in the world. And I just encourage folks to transcend the things that are holding them back, whether that's toxic masculinity or prejudice. I can help you with both, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so come along on this journey with me. Awesome. If you'd like to. For sure. No, awesome. And I have no idea, like, why won't anyone? Because I am transforming just listening to you. So I'm so honored, so grateful for you to be here. The way I finish my podcast every episode, I have a surprise question for all the guests. That was a surprise question earlier. <laughs> I was waiting for it. So I'll do my best to answer in a couple of minutes. So, okay. If you could have one superpower, what could that be? I think if I could have one superpower, I, there's like so many that bust through my head that like, there's so, I don't know what the power is, but it's this power of 
bringing people together and being able to heal the past. Like if there was a way to do that, where like that would be the thing. It's not time travel. I don't need to go backwards to fix things. If I could fix things in people's minds, that would be the, the greatest gift. I think, especially for things that are happening right now, because we have so much information about the past. We're constantly thinking through the past in order to like perceive the present. So we're having, I don't know about you, is English your first language or second? English is my second language. Same yeah. for me, right? So it's like, sometimes I hear English and then I got to process it to then speak Creole or vice versa. So it's kind of like the same thing. We're seeing the present, mm-hmm. we're processing it through the past and then we say something and then we act. I'm like, wow. I could help people like kind of catch up to right now and say, we can do things differently. That would be my greatest superpower and gift back to the world for sure. I can tell you right now, you have that superpower, brother. You are probably growing too. I believe in journey. I never yeah. believe in the never like, okay, I reached my goal, but uh, you are already doing it, brother. You're a light worker. So before I end, I'm an avid reader. I'm, I read a book and I try to finish one quote based on the theme of the episode. And I'm going to finish this go- going with what you are saying. This is a book of that I'm reading right now, Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Nice. And it says, Our men are caged too. The parts of themselves they must hide to fit into those cages are the slices of their humanity that our culture has labeled feminine. Traits like mercy, tenderness, softness, quietness, kindness, humility, uncertainty, empathy, connection. We tell them don't be these things because they are feminine things to be. Be anything but feminine. The problem is that the parts of themselves that our boys have been banished from are not feminine traits. They're human traits. There is no such thing as a feminine quality because there's no such thing as masculinity or femininity. Femininity is just a set of human characteristics. So as masculinity, a culture pours into a bucket and slaps through the label. It's That's so powerful. I mean, it's, it's very powerful. So, and you're saying that piece around identity, it, it's again, the permission to free yourself from those labels and choose to be who you want to be moving forward. Like that is the greatest gift we have right now. So I think that paragraph just summarizes exactly yeah, that. Where yeah. It's not masculine or feminine, it's human. Yes. You get to be a human hero right now. Yeah. Right, let's go. Let's go. Let's go, brother. Yeah, man. I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much, guys. Here's to the end of another episode with Kemi Joseph. So let me know in the comments, what did you learn? And his links and his uh, website will be in the podcast. Feel free to reach out to him. And until then, until next episode, signing off your host, Rish. Thanks for listening to another episode of Dads and Deadlifts. And I hope you are as excited as I am learning from our guest today on the specific topic. Please subscribe, share, and leave a comment and tag Dads and Deadlifts on Instagram and Facebook with your experience of today's episode. Because remember, your one share might save someone from feeling alone and provide them the tools they can incorporate in their daily lives. Let's each of us do our part in helping men around the world. You can personally message me on my Facebook page or Instagram page, Dads and Deadlifts, if you want your story to be shared on the podcast or if you just feel alone and want someone to reach out to. Always remember, you are not alone. All you got to do is reach out. And I am rooting for you. Until next week, your host, Rish, signing off. I will see you next week with another brand new episode.